If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast. This is one of the very few places where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a conservative perspective in this crazy upside-down world in which we now live. My name is John Ziegler. I am your host. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And we are back after a two-week hiatus. Uh, lots to get to today to catch up. In hour number two, we're going to be joined by Republican U.S. Senator from Utah, Mike Lee, who is uh, here to talk about a new book, as well as all the news involving uh, President Trump and the attempted repeal of Obamacare and more. That's in hour number two. And then because there's been so much that has happened over the last couple of weeks and specifically because of the fact that there has been sentencing in a case that I've been embroiled in for over five years now, the so-called Penn State scandal, I'm going to do a special hour number three in which I do something no one has ever attempted before from any perspective on this case. Tell you what really happened. Nobody can actually tell a story about what really happened. I'm going to try it in hour number three. So if you care even a little bit about that case, you will not want to miss that as well. Uh, before we get to the news of the last couple of weeks, and specifically this week, it's been a very busy time for the Ziegler family, which is partially why uh, I took the uh, two-week hiatus. My uh, daughter, Grace, you remember her? She asked the existential question of, of the old uh, weekend Sunday night radio show. No, that's, that's not what she asked. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Yeah, that's what she asked. No, she's not a blasphemer. She, she's the one who is asked. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Yeah, is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? She's also the one who had the best explanation for why the old uh, nationally syndicated Sunday night show ended. It's costing money. Yeah, there we go. So uh, she turned five years old, uh, which is a big milestone. No longer a little girl. Uh, she's now a big girl, and uh, boy, uh, I have to say that her party, her birthday party, as well as the entire birthday festival, as I've been referring to it, it's really a festival because it began on June 1st, her birthday, and it probably ended yesterday on uh, June 10th when she had a little party for her girlfriends, a tea party, a fancy tea party for her girlfriends. I can't believe how stressful the whole thing is. I mean, it is so... It was exhausting 
because at any given moment, I knew the whole thing could just fall apart. There could be massive meltdowns everywhere. You got a bunch of five-year-old girls running around. All the politics, all of the drama, uh, all the things that could possibly go wrong, especially when the birthday girl is, you know, a lot like her mother and, you know, definitely prone to meltdowns and not particularly emotionally stable. So uh, I was completely exhausted. But also, not only was I spent, even though the, the party actually went really well, that's what's amazing. It was exhausting and it went well. I can't even imagine how exhausting it would have been had it not gone well. But the overall overriding uh, lesson of all this, and I know that a lot of parents are dealing with the same issue, is kids in general are spoiled as hell, but kids now around their birthdays, it's ridiculous. It is it's just flat out ridiculous how spoiled kids are, and we're not even remotely rich. And my kid is getting more stuff for a birthday than. Forget about birthday. I never dreamed of getting for a birthday plus Christmas plus whatever else I might have gotten along uh, the way during a particular year. And it's not close. And I'm not saying this out of any sort of bizarre jealousy. I I want her to be as happy as possible. It's great when she gets stuff. But it's to the point where it's almost completely lost meaning. I mean, she's got a neighbor who adores her because, you know, I think she Grace reminds her of her own daughter who's now all grown up who gave her a package of stuff for her birthday that is more amazing than anything I ever got in any of my childhood birthdays alone and that doesn't include the fact that Grace went to Disneyland with both her parents she got a party she got a bike from her for her grandfather a you know princess bike with the princess helmet even the crown on top of it I'm, it's my worst nightmare as a guy who grew up thinking Disney princesses are bad. It's everything I had visions of hoping my life would not be is now become, which is interesting and probably not coincidental and a story for a whole nother day. But the reality is we've now got a spoiled brat on our hands. Love her to death, but she's a spoiled brat. And I don't know what the hell to do about it. Uh, But her fifth birthday was not her only major life event this week. My wife and I were stunned to learn because she announced when she came home from preschool one day that she, Grace, was now engaged to be married, which is way earlier than I ever thought this uh, was going to be a problem. You know, I, I had prepared myself having a very pretty blonde girl in Southern California with a major, you know, personality and a lot of attitude. I knew that that was going to be a combustible combination, but I was thinking I had at least until 12, 13, 14. So at five, she comes home and she says, yep, um, I asked Eddie if he would marry me. She's the one asking the boy. And Eddie at school said, yes, uh, he would marry her. Despite the fact that none of her friends think this is a good idea, which of course ensures that this is a great idea in her mind. So uh, she's going to get married. She already has the boy picked out at the age of five. And for those of you who are really big fans of, of John Ziegler programming and have really tremendous memories, you may recall that for a short while I had brainwashed Grace into thinking that she was going to eventually marry Jordan Spieth, the golfer. And, you know, I, I figured, you know, Spieth is old enough where that Grace could be his second wife. 
which is, you know, not a bad place to be. Uh, you know, you screw up the first one and, you know, the second one you do a better job with. And Grace did not forget about this. And she almost apologetically to me, because I, I said, Grace, are you sure you really want to do this? I mean, you're, you're only five. You, why, why do you want to get married to, to Eddie? And, and she said to me, she said, Dad, I don't think I want to marry Jordan Speed. And I said, well, wh- why don't you want to marry Jordan Speed? And she said, well, I don't really like golfers. And then she realized kind of her mistake. She said, other than you, Dad. I said, oh, well, that's nice. She said, she said but I don't really like golfers. I like boys who like Spider-Man. And I'm like, well, you can't argue with that, right? At five years old? I mean, Jordan Spieth's a golfer. She doesn't really like golfers, but Eddie likes Spider-Man. So Eddie wins out over Jordan Spieth in a five-year-old's mind. So... So it's been an eventful uh, time period in the Ziegler household, but so far at least uh, we're surviving. Now, the, the big news, obviously, of this week was the much overblown, although still significant, a testimony of former FBI Director James Comey. I have written a couple of different columns over the last uh, couple of weeks about Comey, about the testimony. I predicted, I believe... <laughs> in a far more accurate fashion than I did the election itself of 2016, exactly how Comey's testimony would go down and how it would be reacted to by everybody, by Trump critics, by Trump cultists, by the media, by the Trump White House. And you can find that all at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Let's start with a couple of basic premises. Because we're now living in a world, and this is exactly as I predicted, where everybody has an agenda. Nobody ever believes anything that's against their own self-interest. Everyone believes whatever they want to believe. They cherry-pick information to fit their own narrative. And now James Comey has become a completely political character, whether he deserves it, whether he intended it or not. Completely political. People either like him or dislike him based upon mainly their view of Trump. If you like Trump, You hate Comey now. If you hate Trump, you probably love Comey, which is ironic since if you hated Trump, you probably hated Comey a few months ago when we were blaming him for Trump's election, which I think is perfectly valid because I do believe that Comey's decision to send that letter to Congress uh, 10 or 11 days before the election was why Donald Trump is president. I do think that, by the way, at least subconsciously, that plays a role in Comey's actions here. I think Comey feels a bit of guilt about having indirectly elected Donald Trump. And that's, you know, he's a human being. It's playing a role. Here's my view of Comey. I think Comey is an exceedingly smart guy. I think he is a very sincere guy. I think he's an honest guy. I think he's in love with what a good character he has. It's one thing to have a good character, but there's, you know, you can take pride in that, and there's no question that Comey is very proud of his integrity, and he likes people to know how smart and how much integrity he has. So guess what? That means he's a human being. He's not perfect. He's made mistakes. I think that letter to Congress was a mistake. I think he has trouble sometimes seeing the forest through the trees, and and. And, and by the way, people who are very principled often have that problem. 
And I do believe he's principled. I, I do not believe he is lying about anything. Uh, I, not that he's not capable of it. Does he potentially have some of the things wrong? Yeah, that's also the way human beings are. Human beings are terrible reporters and historians. Horrendous. Inherently, all of us are. So is it possible? I mean, he, he, you know, he, he's made mistakes in his prior testimonies, some of them that were fairly significant. So I do not believe that he is anywhere near perfect. I don't believe he's a Superman. I, I think he's made numerous mistakes before. But I think in general, his intent is good. And one of the things that struck me uh, while watching his testimony, having nothing to do with Okay, did Trump collude with Russia? Did he obstruct justice? You know, did, did he commit an impeachable offense in some way, shape, or form? What really struck me was watching Comey and understanding what I know about Donald Trump is what the primary problem with their relationship was. This was a relationship that had no chance from the beginning. <laughs> And the only reason why Trump even gave it a chance was because you got to remember, now Trump doesn't want you to remember this, and Trump cultists have already forgotten about this, Trump praised Comey up and down during the campaign. Remember that? He was great. He was awesome. He praised him after the campaign. He praised him when he was introduced. Remember that? The now famous video of Comey trying to hide in the blue curtains <laughs> and, and Trump calling him forward and giving him a big congrat- congratulatory handshake and a slap on the back. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago, folks. That was, that was only a few months ago. So the reality is that at one point, Trump liked him because he thought he was good for Trump. And he thought he might be, to use his word, loyal to Trump, which is not a proper word to be using for your FBI director. But, you know, that gets to the question of, is Trump corrupt or is he just retarded? That's really the, you know, that really is. You know, Grace asked a good question about Trump. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Right. It's similar to that question is the, is the issue of is he, is he corrupt or is he just a complete idiot? I think that's still an open question. And it could be both, by the way. It could be both. I don't think it's neither. But, all right, so here's the primary problem with the relationship. Comey is the subordinate. And in Trump's mind, which is incorrect, it's an incorrect perception because he's the president, he's not a king. In Trump's mind, Comey is like his, a golf pro at one of his golf courses. He works for him, right? Personal loyalty to him. He does what he says. Well, that's not correct. All right, but that's in Trump's perception. And he's he's the leader, he's the boss. Comey is a subordinate who thinks his job is to be independent of the boss. And oh by the way, his IQ is like 60 points higher and his integrity level is infinitely higher than the boss. That's an equation that cannot work. In a relationship, because you got two massive problems. You have a major miscommunication about the nature of the relationship, and then you have the subordinate who's much smarter and much uh, of higher integrity uh, than the boss has. So the idea that this relationship broke down is hardly surprising. Now, 
What about what Comey testified to and the reaction to it? Well, to me, you know, there's really only a couple things that are incredibly important. The first is that, once again, to be clear, and I've been saying this since day one, there is no apparent direct evidence of collusion between certainly Trump himself and Russia to try to win the election together. Now, that doesn't mean that doesn't exist. It means we haven't seen it yet. There's certainly a ton of smoke with regard to people who were integral in his campaign. Now, I do think there's some people who are discounting the collusion theory a bit too fast because to me, all right, I'm more than willing to believe there was no collusion. I, I believe his Senate, former Senator from Pennsylvania, Rick Santorum, said he doesn't believe there was collusion because he doesn't even think Trump colluded with his own campaign. And this is a Trump supporter. So I, I get the idea that maybe they weren't even competent enough to collude with Russia. But I guess my major concern is, why is it that so many incredibly significant Trump aides have omitted meetings with Russian officials. The most recent that we've learned about is the attorney frickin' general, Jeff Sessions, who, if the most recent reporting is accurate, and I have no reason to believe that it's not, and was certainly verified by Comey during his testimony, he not only testified incorrectly, even after he testified incorrectly and got called on it, he still failed to disclose a meeting with a top Russian official during the campaign. Why does this keep happening? Why? It's not that difficult to remember these things. This is not that long ago. These are important meetings. I'm pretty sure I would remember. It's, you know, it's, it's really baffling. It needs an explanation. Now, I'm still open to the idea that this was all a situation where Trump was so insecure about the nature of his victory and everybody around him knew he was so insecure about the nature of his victory that they wanted to shut down or not provide any more smoke to an investigation that they knew Trump hated because it hits at his one great accomplishment of his life. He beat Hillary Clinton. And if it's perceived that he did that with Russian help, it discredits it. So I think that's plausible. This could all be a situation, and I think Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, said this uh, today, that this might be the first time a, a president has been taken down because he couldn't stop talking about an investigation that would have cleared him if he had just shut the hell up. That is possible. I, I see that path. I'm not there yet. Just like I'm not there on, you know, this was clearly Russian collusion. I, I you know, I, I'm confused in trying to come up with a scenario that explains everything here. And I will once again say that it's Trump's own reactions that are the most troubling evidence that there's something much worse than what we know. To me, an innocent guy 
does not react in the way that Trump has. Like, for instance, just today, he called Comey very cowardly on a, in a tweet for having leaked his inform- you know, the, uh, the information in his memos. Now, let me deal with this leak issue because, you know, in hour number two, we, we interview uh, Republican Senator Mike Lee, who is no big fan of Donald Trump. But when you listen to the interview, it's clear even Mike Lee is not going to say anything negative about Donald Trump. And a lot of people who are in that camp of not liking Trump, but they need something to hang on to that they, that feels credible so that they can get out of this thing, so they can defend Trump without really defending him, he latches on to the leak issue. This, to me, is a massive red herring. And as Hillary herself might say, What difference at this point does it make? I mean, wh- why do we care how the essence of the memos got into the public domain? J- James Comey is no longer the FBI director, folks. He wasn't the FBI director when the essence, not the documents themselves, the essence of these documents were leaked through a third party to the New York Times. So there's several levels of absurdity in my mind here. Number one, why do we even care? He's not the FBI director. Oh, you know, so you're making an argument that maybe now James Comey should be fired as FBI director? Guess what? He already was. So it's irrelevant, number one. Number two, all I care about is, is what's in the memos accurate? Is it credible? Why isn't Trump going after that? I mean, he's calling Comey a liar, but he's not saying what he's lying about. And interestingly, you know, one of the more fascinating Trump statements in the press conference he held the day after Comey's uh, testimony was that he denied ever telling Comey that he should drop the Flynn investigation. But then he also said, but even if I did, everyone says that wouldn't be a big deal anyway. Well, he mischaracterizes that, which I'll, I intend to return to that issue. But that's not what you say if that's a real denial. In fact, his own son went on television, Donald Trump Jr., and basically said that that's what he did do with Flynn and that no one cares or that it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. And let me just address that since I'm on it right now and I won't forget about it. Here's why that does matter. You know, a lot of Trump apologists, including Alan Dershowitz, who now suddenly conservatives love, this, the liberal Alan Dershowitz who defended O.J. Simpson is now suddenly the, the paragon of, of legal virtue. You know, Dershowitz was saying, well, the president of the United States has the authority to end a criminal investigation if he wants to. Okay, fine. If, that, if that's accurate, I'm not a constitutional scholar. Fine. If, if that's true, fine. I'll, I'll, for the sake of this argument, I'm willing to accept that. There's two problems, though. Number one, this was an investigation involving his own campaign, which Dershowitz seems to forget. Number two, more importantly, he did not end the investigation. See, had Trump said, I'm ending the investigation into Flynn, into Russia, the whole bit, If that was within his legal authority, fine. 
But then he would have had to take the political responsibility for that. He didn't do it. It's funny that you, he used the word coward to, to call me because like a lot of times with Trump, it's projection. He's the real coward. He was afraid to end the investigation because he knew there would be massive political blowback. So he tried to get Comey to do it. And at first he tried to be subtle because, you know, Donald Trump's all about subtlety. He tried to be subtle about it, first by demanding Comey's loyalty and then getting him alone. And this is the context here is so important. And it's amazing to me. So many conservatives or alleged, alleged conservatives have now sold out all their principles to try to defend this guy. If the same set of circumstances were involved with Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, our side would be screaming bloody murder to the end of time. So the president clears the room of his attorney general and his vice president, keeps his chief of staff out, keeps his son-in-law out, and one-on-one with James Comey says, I hope you'll let Mike Flynn go. Now, obviously, Comey is uncomfortable about this immediately. In fact, he seems to sense, even before it happens, that this is going to be a problem. Don't leave me alone with Trump, which, of course, is something a lot of women would inherently understand why you wouldn't want to be left alone with Donald Trump. But for Comey, you know, Comey's six foot eight. By the way, I think the fact that Comey is six foot eight is another massive, literally massive problem with him in the relationship with Trump. Because he's a lot bigger than Trump, and Trump Trump is intimidated. He's intimidated by his size, his intellect, and his integrity. And that it's amazing in retrospect that this relationship lasted as long as it did. So he's got the six foot eight Comey in there, towering over him, and he asks him rather timidly, uh, you know, or tells him with hope that he'll end it. Comey is on guard immediately that this doesn't smell right. This feels wrong. Why am I alone with the White House, in the White House, in the Oval Office, and why is the president telling me these things? So then he immediately memorializes it in these memos, which I'll get to their leaking in a second, more the specifics of the leaking. So that's all consistent with a guy who is being pressured to end an investigation, a criminal investigation. Now, there are those who say, well, at that point, Comey should have resigned if it was really happening. Really? Seriously? Um, There's so many problems with that, but here's the one that no one wants to talk about. And an analogy that a rational person, if you're being honest with yourself, you'll see has a great deal of validity. Let's say you're married to somebody and you suspect that they are cheating on you. Like Comey, suspected that Trump was trying to pressure him to end an investigation improperly. Now, do you leave your spouse because you suspect they're cheating on you? Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Especially in this situation where the two are tied. I mean, Comey knows that he needs to stay in the job because there's some serious shit going on and that nobody else can take care of in his mind as well as he can. So just like a marriage, you're not going to leave your spouse on a suspicion. 
Now, so Comey has this suspicion, and because he has this suspicion, he's running the memos to keep a record of this. He doesn't know for 100% that Trump, to use my analogy, is actually cheating on him until he gets fired. He doesn't end the criminal investigation, and him getting fired is the equivalent of walking in on your spouse naked in a bed with somebody else. At that point, you go, oh, (laughs) clearly there's no more just suspicion. This actually is happening. My suspicions were correct. Good thing I kept a record of all this. So that's, that's what blows my mind more than anything about this whole controversy, is conservatives like to look, because they don't want to admit that the guy that they sold all their principles to is a lying sack of crap who, who probably committed impeachable offenses. But so they, they cherry pick. You know, it's, it's amazing the cherry picking that's going on here. It's like we're acting like Democrats, a lot of so-called conservatives. That's what Democrats do. They cherry pick what, oh, see, you know, take something out of context. Like it's happened so many times in this situation. And, and make that the red herring. Well, in this particular context, you can't leave out the firing. The firing is everything. The firing is the moment when, aha, that's what Trump was really doing. And if there was any doubt, just in case you're saying, well, no, no, John, <laughs> that firing was just coincidental, <laughs> we have to... Absolutely smoking gun pieces of evidence. Number one, Trump's own interview with Lester Holt, where he says he was thinking about Russia when he fired Comey. And we have the the we have the report that's not been even remotely contested by the White House that Trump the next day told a Russian spy. In the Oval Office, yeah, I fired Colby to get rid of my Russia problem. I mean, what more do the morons need? That's what this was about. Another red herring of so many red herrings here. There's been those who have been trying to give Trump credit because, well, he was making a distinction to Comey between ending the Flynn investigation and the overall Russian investigation. Okay, with a normal president, I would say, maybe so. With this case, I call bullshit. Because he didn't say that to Lester Holt. He didn't say that to the Russian spy who somehow got into the Oval Office after our our intelligence agencies said that they were responsible for hacking into our election. No, he made it clear this was about Russia. As a whole. So that's another bullcrap red herring by desperate people who want to believe that Trump isn't who he really is. Another so with regard to this leak, so then the, the memos, the leaking of the memos. I want I want to make sure that I cover all this in totality. So now Trump wants to focus on that, which is hilarious because. The first leaker between Trump and Comey was Trump. 
when Trump fired Comey, what was the first thing he did? He wrote a letter, which was made public, to Comey in which, and everyone said at the time, and I did as well, bizarrely referenced the fact that he wanted to thank Comey for telling him on three separate occasions that he was not personally under investigation. That is leaking the nature of their conversations, right? So in a rational world, right there, once the president has done that, all bets are off, buddy. So you're leaking our conversations. I, so therefore, ethically, if not legally, Comey is under no restrictions at this point. The president has leaked that the FBI director told him, presumably confidential, in a confidential fashion, that he's not under personal investigation. I now believe, by the way, and this is in the realm of the benign, as the most benign interpretation I can come up with, uh, with regard to what was really going on here, I now think that that was a large part of why Trump fired Comey in the first place. He's such a narcissist and so incapable of seeing beyond what's going to happen on that day. I mean, Trump is a guy who acts like every single day is his last day on earth that there's never any concern for the repercussions. And so he desperately wanted it out in the public domain that he's not under personal investigation. And I think he realized, you know what? If I fired the guy, I can write a letter, I can put that in there, and it'll be all over the news. (laughs) I think that's a large part of why he fired him. So we got the first leak here is from Trump. It's not from Comey. Now, how does the Comey uh, leak happen? The Comey leak happens, according to Comey, it happens after Trump tweets about the fact that there, he better hope, Comey better hope, that there aren't tapes of their conversations before he starts leaking. These are tapes that to this day, Trump and the White House will not confirm nor deny their existence, which is astonishing. That is astonishing that they're not willing all this time later to say whether or not the president was telling the truth in a public pronouncement that there might be tapes of the Comey conversation. So Comey's testimony is, in the middle of the night, he starts to think, "Uh uh-oh, wow, the president mentioned tapes. I better get my memos out there. Now, this is, speaking of the red herrings, another red herring here from from the Trump cultists who will believe anything. Trump's lawyer claimed that this was an inaccurate testimony from Comey because the day before the tweet by Trump, the New York Times had an article that included information from the memos, specifically about a dinner between Trump and Comey. And that somehow this is a smoking gun that Comey, aha, he's lying. Bullshit, people. Here... It's absurd. That is an absurd leap. And here's why it's an absurd leap. If the New York freaking Times knew that there were memos of Comey's memorializing these conversations with the president on, I think it was May 11th was the date. If they knew that in that article, that would have been the height of insanity for them not to put it in there. It's There's absolutely no reason for them not to put it in there. And there is a ton of other ways they could have gotten that information. They could have gotten that information simply by someone who was there. Maybe it was Comey himself. 
Who knows? We don't know because they don't didn't reveal the source. Simply giving a description of what happened at the dinner. Apparently, numerous people knew about what happened at that dinner. So it's a lie. It is a lie that there is any proof at all that Comey's testimony is not accurate here. Now, as far as what was leaked with regard to the memos, it's incredibly important to point out, and the Trump cultists don't want to acknowledge this or don't understand it because, you know, after all, Trump... I love the poorly educated. You know, he's, he, he takes advantage of the people's lack of understanding of the way things work. Here's what happened. Comey asked a friend to read, read some of the memos to the New York Times. Now, that is vastly different than Comey taking FBI work product, which may or may not have been classified, and handing it to the New York Times. And as I've been saying on Twitter all weekend long, uh, if this was really leaked, can someone please show me a copy of it? Where, where are the memos, ladies and gentlemen? Where are they? Have you seen them? Have you seen them? If, had they been leaked, what are the chances that we would not have seen them at this point? Uh, zero? Zero. They were not leaked. Now, it might sound like semantics, but it's not from a legal standpoint and from an ethical perspective. What's being lost here, I think, is that the New York Times actually made a very, very uh, shaky decision, in my opinion, as a guy who knows a bit about journalism. Not that journalism still exists, but I'm a historian of when journalism actually did exist. I don't think the New York Times had any damn authority or right to publish that story. I don't think having a friend of James Comey read something that they're purporting to be memos that he wrote reaches the level of reporting in the New York Times and certainly not to the to the level where every damn news organization in the country picks it up instantaneously. No, I'm sorry. That's not good enough. Especially with this level of a story. The New York Times, in my opinion, unless there's something we're missing here, unless there's a piece of information, piece of the puzzle that's not in, in evidence currently, I think the New York Times made a bad call. Now, why did they make that bad call? Because the story is just too damn good. <laughs> that's, the, that's the reality of it. Okay, The news media, and I've learned this firsthand, <laughs> the news media's agenda, whether that's political or ratings, dictates everything about the standard that they use for what's a story and what's not. Had they, had they not liked the content of the memos, I guarantee you the New York Times would have scratched their beards and said, you know, well, after contemplation, we don't believe that the reading of memos we've never seen reaches the level of our, comfortable, our being comfortable with reporting this story in a very high-profile fashion. But because they love the story, because they knew it would be great for, for their attention and the website traffic, what have you, they're like, ah, shit, that's perfect. That's no, We got no problem with that. It's a friend? Hey, do you, you, know, do you know James Comey's email address? Good enough for us. You're, you're a buddy of James Comey. You couldn't possibly be lying to us about what's in these memos. So I, I think that subconsciously, the fact that the Times 
acted like this was a rock-solid story, made people think that the memos themselves have been leaked. They haven't been. There's no documents. There's there's nothing that Comey... You, do you guys really think... Do people really think, as, as apparently a lot of people on Fox News and supposed conservatives, do they really think that James Comey is stupid enough and ignorant enough to break a law with regard to leaking classified information, if in fact this was even classified, which I don't think it was. These were his own notes. Yes, I can certainly see that they were potentially FBI work product, but that FBI work product has not been leaked, quote-unquote, all right? So there's so many damn red herrings in all this. Another one that just came to my mind, which the New York Times did a fascinating article about today, about how these incredibly fringe characters on Twitter, these pro-Trump cultists, people I've dealt with and I even know, and these are not credible people. I mean, these are people I wouldn't even let on my damn podcast, all right? <laughs> these, are, these are the dregs of humanity who, who get, get stories injected into you know, new Fox News Channel and the Rush Limbaugh show like, for instance, the idea that Comey, and I know a lot of so-called conservatives think this actually happened. I've seen it quoted in major so-called conservative media that Comey testified previously, I believe it was May 3rd, that he had never been pressured to end an investigation. I'm sure you probably heard that, right? Boy, that sounds damaging. Except there's a couple of problems that they don't want to tell you, which the New York Times did a really good job. I can't believe I'm complimenting the New York Times because I can't stand the New York Times, but this is the upside-down freaking world we live in. But the New York Times did a really good job of explaining, um, no, the problem with that is that's not what Comey was asked. That's, Comey was not asked about Donald Trump. And something the Times failed to point out, which might be even more important, at that point, Comey had not been fired. Okay? I can't say that enough. <laughs> it's at the point that Comey gets fired that Comey goes, oh, actually, I was pressured to end a criminal investigation. I just wasn't sure of it yet. Now I know. <laughs> so, so almost every, and I deal with this in one of the columns I wrote about how the cult has reacted to the Comey testimony in a way that, you know, every good cult should, which is to block out all logic, all facts, and just believe whatever you want to believe. I've written a very extensive column about this, which you can check out at, at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Uh, it's, the bottom line of all this is that while Trump didn't get decapitated this week, I mean, hell, Comey acknowledged that at least at one point, we don't know if it's still the case today, although I think it probably is, but at one point, that Trump was not under personal investigation here. Which, of course, leads to another problem of consistency. Remember when consistency mattered to conservatives? <laughs> that was so long ago. But if you're going to be consistent, can you imagine how conservatives would have responded if, say, a President Obama or a President Hillary Clinton had said, um, call me lied, but he also vindicated me. <laughs> so wait a minute let me get this straight so he's a lying sack of shit who didn't tell the truth but 
That time when he verified what I wrote in my my letter firing him, which he had no need to do, when he when he said, "Yeah, um, by the way, I did tell the president three times he was not under personal investigation." Yeah, that part was true. That part is true. Okay, so what's the explanation then? Why why would Comey tell the truth about that if he's willing to lie about so many other things? That doesn't make any damn sense. There's no need. For him to say that, unless, unless they're tapes, which of course the White House is not confirming or denying, which is just mind blowing on so many, so many levels. Again, how would conservatives react if Hillary Clinton was refusing to say that tapes that she suggested existed, whether or not they really do or not? That's all Fox News Channel would be talking about. Oh, this is just like Nixon. Ah, she's just like Nixon. No, because we've lost all sense of sanity. We've all, all sense of consistency, all sense of principle. So where does this all stand? Well, it's not going to go away. Uh, apparently Sessions is going to testify this week. The Sessions thing could theoretically be the most important element or at least new element to come out of the Comey testimony. It is obvious that Comey has <laughs> a grudge against Sessions. And frankly, I, I don't blame him based upon what he is saying. Because it sure seems like Sessions hung Comey out to dry in every possible way. He had asked Sessions, don't leave me alone with Trump. And he did. And then Sessions allows that bogus report to be written justifying Comey's firing. Got to remember, by the way, I know this is ancient history, uh, not, not only is Comey a Republican, but he's the guy who helped elect Donald Trump. You would think he would have some semblance of credibility with our side, but no, no, no. We now live in a monarchy, and we must do all to protect the king. It's all about protecting the king, and when you're in a cult... You can't help yourself because it's like a freaking virus. It's like a zombie virus. I've seen it myself. I, I, it's, it's destroyed people close to me. It, it got to Leah Brandon, my former co-host on the Nationalist Syndicated show, and we'll never speak again because now she's a zombie. Um, my, even my wife has a little bit of the virus, which I, it scares me. I kid her about it all the time. Occasionally it'll flare up like a case of shingles. And, uh, you know, I have other friends I've, I've seen have signs of this Trump virus. There's no known cure. Uh, I, I'm somehow inoculated from it. I, I don't know why, but uh, it is a scary, scary thing. So this story is not going to go away. And by the way, um, as my has been my primary problem with Trump from day one is what are we going to get in exchange for what we're giving up? I've always said from day one, this is a bad deal, potentially catastrophically bad deal, like a, a Trump Atlantic City casino level bad deal. All right. And frankly, we've gotten very little so far. Summer is about to hit. So nothing's going to get done during the summer. That leaves the fall. The Russian thing is not going away by the fall. That's going to be dragging him down at least through then. I can't imagine Mueller exonerating everybody by then. And so that gives him a window of a couple of months, September, October, November. By the time it's December, now you've gotten into Christmas, it's over, okay? 
So you got basically three months. We're, we're, we are effectively, we only have three or four months left of trying to get something done before we're now in an election year and it's over. Okay? So we are really close to putting an end to what Trump can get done during his so-called honeymoon period, which didn't even exist because he kept putting his foot in his mouth. And, and because of, you know, let's, I, I will be the first to acknowledge the media had it out for him. There's no, and by the way, the media having it out for him has turned out to be Trump's greatest asset. Because if the media wasn't so clearly out for him, some of what they are saying might be seen as credible among his base of support. But it's not because the media lost all their credibility, which is their own goddamn fault. Because they don't deserve any credibility. They lost it a long time ago. As I often say about CNN, if you'd wanted to be believed about Trump Russia, maybe you shouldn't have spent three months in 2014 chasing a Malaysian plane that was missing. Maybe maybe you should have made that decision then. Maybe you should have thought, you know, someday we're going to need this credibility. But they didn't because the ratings were too good. So Trump's going to survive this Trump, this Russia thing, in my opinion. I, I, do, I told a, a friend from Breitbart, who's even more of an anti-Trump person than I am, but they still work at Breitbart currently, trying to keep it stealth. They, they, um, I, I, I told them that, and they disagree with me, I think Trump will serve out his term. I even think there's a chance he gets reelected. I think he gets re- I think there's a chance he gets reelected with a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate and then look the fuck out. I think that that's because I don't see who the hell the Democrats are going to run. I really don't. And it's very difficult to beat an incumbent president, even one as unpopular as Donald Trump. So that's to me what the focus ought to be. Uh, you know, it's one thing to, to defend what he has done with regard to wrongdoing with regard to Russia? Is it a crime? Is it an impeachable offense? All that's significant, but it's not going to be super relevant until and unless the Democrats take the House because Republicans, as we see in hour number two with our interview with Senator Lee, they ain't abandoning Trump. As long as the cult stays firm with Trump, which they clearly are, the Republican Party ain't abandoning him. They're just going to make excuses, and they're just going to keep driving up the price we're going to pay long-term for this fiasco. That's what's happening. We just keep doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down, giving up more and more of what's ever left of our credibility for what we're going to pay when this is all over. What are we going to get in return? Well, it's not looking like very much. One of the things that Senator Lee references is, because I asked this of him, is, you know, what is it that we're getting? And a lot of uh, Trump fans are pointing to the fact that we are pulling out of the Paris Climate Treaty. That happened while we were on hiatus. To me, this is a classic Trump, quote-unquote, achievement. Boy, it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good that we've finally pulled out of this bullshit, fantasy, religion-based Accord that wasn't going to help anything, even if you believe in climate change. No one really believes it's going to solve the problem. It was all about feeling better. And boy, he stuck it to those Europeans and the and the, the liberals. Awesome, man. But the net effect is basically zero. Nothing's going to change. Effectively, what happened was we, as the United States, temporarily 
decided that climate change is no longer our state religion. That's basically what it was. Just philosophically, we said, you know what? We no longer consider climate change to be the state religion of the United States of America. And, of course, the liberals went bananas. Blasphema! Yeah. Blasphemy! He said it again! Yeah, that's what it is. Climate change is a religion, and Trump has temporarily said that philosophically, it's no longer our state religion. Is that going to impact anything? No. It's not going to impact anything. Here's why. It doesn't go into effect until, ironically enough, the day after he runs for re-election, assuming he's still president. So, so worst case scenario, we, we pull out of it, and then a couple of months later, a Democratic president gets us right back in. So there'll be zero impact. Number two reason is there have been numerous major states, including this one here in California, that have already said that they're going to still abide by the treaty, regardless of what the United States does. So this isn't going to change anybody's life. It just felt good. And it was easy. And he could do it on his own. That's the essence of Trump's quote-unquote accomplishments. He's not doing anything that's permanent. He's not doing anything that's real. He's not going to change anybody's life. He's not going to make America great again. He's simply temporarily making his cult feel good. And give them something to hang their hat on that, boy, yeah, he really, he's upholding his promises and it's America first, baby. When it's really all just bullshit. That's what it is. It's all just bullshit. And I, I, I said it a million times, but I, it, it bears repeating. I, I'd be willing to go along with this party that we're having if we at least were having a good time. If if you're going to spend all this money on a party and you're going to get drunk off your ass and you're going to get on, you know, you're going to do all these drugs and, and you know, end up, uh, you know, vomiting in the side of the road into the gutter, I want to at least have a good time. When's the, when's the winning start? When's the good time start? I, yeah, we got Neil Gorsuch. Great. <laughs> wait, wait until Gorsuch is the deciding vote against the travel ban, by the way. That... <laughs> That'll be that'll be freaking hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I hope Gorsuch is great as, as much as anybody is, but at best, see, people forget, at best, Gorsuch is a slight step down from Antonin Scalia. There's no way he's as good as Scalia. We can only hope that he's almost Scalia. So inherently, we're still losing there. Now, would we have lost more under Hillary? Yeah. But I blew somebody's mind on Twitter, some Trump cultist today, when I said... Look, 10 to 15 years from now, we're going to look back and go, gee, it probably would have been better if Hillary had won. We'd be in a lot better shape. And I believe that. I believe the evidence is overwhelming that that's the case for all the reasons that I've already stated. All right, a couple of other <clears throat> uh, things that have happened in uh, recent weeks that I wanted to mention very quickly in this uh, first hour. So sad to see the passing of Adam West, Batman. I don't get upset when... Super old celebrities die normally. But, you know, Batman was my first uh, favorite TV show. And what I found really interesting about Adam West and the character of Batman is that, you know, as a kid, when I, I think I start, first started watching it when I was seven, eight years old. And, you know, back when there were only four channels and anything on television was a big freaking deal. Wow. You know, this you can't miss. There's no recording it. You get one shot at it. And when Batgirl was in there, 
I felt a special tingle that didn't quite understand, but I've later found to be very significant. But the, the beauty of Adam West's Batman was that as a kid, I thought it was all very serious. I thought it was all very real. I thought this was like a real superhero show and that it was all made sense. But when you looked at the same episodes as an adult, it's freaking hilarious. It is comedy gold. It's all a parody, but you don't see it as a child. And so yesterday I made that observation and I realized, wait a minute. I made an observation on Twitter and I said, wait a minute. This is exactly like Donald Trump. That if your brain isn't fully developed and you have a childlike view of the world, it seems totally serious. But when you're an adult and you are able to see things through the prism of reality, you go, this whole thing is bullshit. It's all a big joke. So that's what I take away from the passing of Adam West, uh, who was uh, seemingly a great guy. And it, and it really, that, that, from an acting standpoint, that takes a lot to be able to play to two completely different audiences. Kids take you seriously. Adults think you're hilarious. And Adam West was able to do that. Another guy who I once greatly admired was very much in the news for the last couple of weeks, Tiger Woods. Wow. Um, things I never thought I would see, uh, but the mug shot of Tiger Woods after his DUI arrest is uh, as, as startling as Donald Trump becoming president uh, in my uh, mindset. I have been trying to piece together what the hell happened here, and I can't. Uh, none of it makes sense. I don't understand why he was out and, you know, the night before Memorial Day at 2 a.m., driving alone, gets in a car accident. He gets in a car accident, two tires slashed, both, both ends of his car banged up, and there's no known evidence anywhere? He, he didn't hit anybody else? He didn't, there's, there's nothing around him that showed any other damage? There's no real explanation for where he was. He didn't even know, literally didn't know where he was. He thought he was coming from Los Angeles where he was playing golf, which he can't play golf anymore because of his back, and he was in Florida. Uh, so it's just so sad. Uh, you know, there are those like Dr. Drew, who's an expert in this area, who believe that he is very much addicted to painkillers because of all the back surgeries and that this is what caused this. That certainly seems plausible to me, but it just feels like there's a missing piece to this, which we may never know. But the main bottom line is there is no way Tiger Woods is coming back in any way, shape or form what he ever was. And one of my best predictions ever is going to end up being the cover story I wrote for the Louisville weekly newspaper in August of 2014 at the PGA Championship, which was being held in Louisville, where I used to work as a radio talk show host and a television host, where we put Tiger Woods in a casket and buried him on the cover, saying that he would never be coming back. Uh, and that was true, because at that, after that point, he has never done anything close. And he may, emphasize may, play at the professional level again, but at 41 years old in this day and age, uh, where your prime is basically 27 in golf now because of technology and fitness, uh, there is just no way. It's over. And it's just a matter of how bad it's going to be with regard to his life. Uh, it's an incredibly sad story. 
Another sad story that um, got amazingly little coverage this week. I mean, it's stunning, and James Comey was part of this, is did you know Bill Cosby went on trial this week? Isn't that amazing? Bill Cosby, once a guy at the level of Tiger Woods' fame, went on trial for rape, and no one seemed to give a shit. <laughs> how the hell did that happen? I, I, I don't know how long the trial is going to go on. It's, it's still ongoing. Maybe you know something will happen that will ignite interest. I don't know whether or not the ratings on it stink. I, I, I don't get it. But by the way, Bill Cosby is under trial, and no one seems to care. Also, uh, as I've already alluded to, this uh, the last couple of weeks uh, when we were on hiatus, there was a sentencing in the so-called Penn State case, which also allegedly uh, included uh, rape charges against Jerry Sandusky. I have, uh, as you probably know, been following this case, not just following it, I've been part of this case for far too long, over five years, so much a part of this case that when the prosecutors gave the judge their filing for the sentencing for the three Penn State administrators who were found guilty of a misdemeanor. Two of them pled. One of them was found guilty, even though the jury foreman said that if they had known the full specter of the whole situation, they would have voted not guilty. So uh, when the prosecutors filed their their motion to the judge asking for punishment for Graham Spanier, the former president of Penn State, a guy who I at one point was very close to in all this, I'm not lying, not exaggerating. You can look it up for yourself. The first page or two of the filing was about me. 14-page filing, and the prosecution decides to use me as the justification for throwing the book at Graham Spanier because I had caused so much. I was a supporter of Spaniers. I guess this is the logic. And because as a supporter of Spaniers, I've been causing so much damage to these poor, innocent accusers (laughs) that this warranted the greatest punishment possible. Now, I have no idea whether or not that argument worked, but that's basically what they got. They're going to jail for something that they didn't do, for something that didn't happen, that they know didn't happen, that there's no evidence ever happened. And no one gives a shit because the media loves the narrative. And that's all the media cares about is their own self-interest. So in hour number three... I'm going to tell you a story, a story you've never heard before because it's never been told. I'm the only one that can tell it. What actually really did happen in the Penn State story? That's hour number three on a special hour of the World According to Zig podcast. As always, I ask only two things of you. Share this on social media. Share this podcast on Twitter, Facebook, what have you, word of mouth. And also, do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps at night and when you sleep, you use sheets, Stick around and listen to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. (laughs) Well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mmm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. 
S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.